want my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's then bow in prayer. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing of the reading and proclaiming of your word this evening. We pray that you'll give Pastor Bob everything that he stands in need of, Father, as he brings your word this evening. And Father, that anybody in this hearing that does not know the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior may experience that, that while you can be found, Father, that you are a loving God that will forgive our trespasses. All this in the precious name of our Savior alone we pray. Amen. Amen. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Let's remind ourselves of our situation here. Jesus is giving here in this Sermon on the Mount teaching instructions about prayer. And when we look at the verses, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, those words that we often say or give the title to the Lord's Prayer, we often take those words out of the context in which Jesus gives us in verses 5 through 8. The context was this. This is the prayer for the prayer closet. This is not the public prayer. This is not family prayer. This is not prayer with your spouse. This is not prayer at Bible study. This is not prayer in worship. He, he very clearly tells us that when you pray, you are to go into your closet and shut the door. Private, personal prayer. That is what he is addressing. Then he goes on to say, now, don't get into the, the form of babbling. Don't get into the idea that when you do this, when you go into this prayer closet, when you're engaged in your personal and private prayers, that you simply become repetitive of the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Then he says, when you pray, this is the way in which you ought to pray. Not these are the words you should pray each and every time you pray. Because if he did that, if Jesus meant that we're to simply repeat every time we pray the words that are found here in verses 9 through 12, he would be violating that which he just told us not to do. Which is the continuation of repetition over and over and over again. So what he's giving us here, as we went through last week, 
is a form. This is what prayer looks like. This is what is to be covered. It's like he's saying point one, point two, point three, but you need to fill in the outline. You need to fill in the A, B, C, D, and E. He's just giving you the main points of prayer. So first of all, when it comes to a prayer of confession, last Lord's Day evening we dealt with prayers of adoration. Now we're dealing with a prayer of confession. And when it comes to a prayer of confession, let's listen to what Jesus teaches us how we are to pray, not the exact words we are to pray, but the form, the manner, the major point. What is something we should pray for when we pray to God? Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now there's three points I want to make about this. Number one, understand that this prayer is the prayer of a believer. This is not the prayer of an unbeliever. This is a prayer of a justified believer. This is the prayer of somebody who is in the process of being sanctified. This is the prayer of that individual who is praying, forgive us our debt. But now that's the form. The Our Father establishes that relationship. See, an unbeliever cannot pray this way. The only prayer that an unbeliever can pray is, Lord, I am an unworthy sinner, standing on your wrath and condemnation. By faith, I lay claim to the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, they are a believer. Now, as a believer, they can pray. See, an unbeliever can mouth these words. They can have sound come out, but it's not prayer. See, Jesus is telling us that it takes a relationship. You have to know God as your Father to pray. A relationship that is established. A relationship that is there. So when you come to Forgive that which I have done that is based upon that relationship of being a believer already. Now, that might sound like I'm really being emphatic about this. I am, 
because of what Jesus is going to say at the conclusion of this. If we don't get this, we're going to have some messed up theology. And we're going to have Christ paying only a partial part of our salvation. And the rest is dependent up to us. So this is important to underscore. It's important to get. Secondly, when Jesus instructs us to pray for forgiveness of our debts, of our sins, of our trespasses, he is not speaking of our prayer of regeneration. He is not speaking of our prayer of being born again. He is not speaking of the, quote, sinner's prayer. He is talking about our sins that have been committed even though we are justified, even though the blood of Christ has fully delivered us from all of our sins, we know that we are in this process of being sanctified and that none of us is pure, none of us is holy. We are in the process of being conformed to the glorious image of his Son. And in that process, we, like the Apostle Paul, the good that we would, we do not, and the evil that we would not, that we do, I have sinned. These are the sins that Jesus is talking about. The sins that I commit as one who is in a relationship with God as my Father, which is possible only because of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. I am a believer. And I'm being sanctified. Yet I sin. When you pray, Jesus said, one of the things you need to pray for as one in the process of sanctification, is you need to pray and ask God for the forgiveness of the sins that you commit even as you are in this process of being sanctified. Jesus is not advocating here that somehow or another, every day you need to be born again. Every day you need to go back and go through being born again, being regenerated. We are born again once. We are regenerated once. We are justified once. It doesn't happen over and over again. When you and I pray, forgive us for our sins, God's not going, yeah, that's right. I didn't see you as one of my children. You're right. Man, you were an outcast. Man, I hated you. The wrath of me, but you prayed that prayer. Now you're in the fold once again. Oh, tomorrow I sin. Oh, I'm outside of the, and I'm in the wrath of God again. Oh, God, please forgive me my debts. Oh, God says, yes, now I'll born again you again. So that every time we pray, there is this born-again experience. It doesn't happen that way. The act of regeneration, the act of being born again, the declaration of God that we are declared righteous because of the blood of Christ happens but once. But we are still called by Jesus to ask for the forgiveness of our sins. Thirdly, this prayer, this part 
this major point that Jesus is making comes with a point of action. This is to be a prayer of action. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's the action. This forgiveness is required. Now, note, go down, if you have your scripture, go down to 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, now some people go, oh, so it is dependent. You mean if I don't forgive somebody, I lose my salvation? No. Look at the verses. Your Father, your Father will not forgive you. He doesn't say, your Father will cease to be your Father. See, I'm already at, in a right relationship with the Father. I've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. But I continue to sin, and as I continue to sin, I ask God to forgive me for those sins, that he might not hold them against me. That he might forgive me in the same way that I practice this forgiveness to others. And then Jesus warns, but if I'm asking God to forgive me when I'm not practicing that forgiveness, God does not forgive me those trespasses that I am confessing to him. What are those trespasses? Those trespasses that I commit as a sanctified child of God. He is not saying, Jesus is not saying here, that if you don't forgive that person, you lose your salvation, you go back to square one. That biblically is an impossibility. You can't have God as your father refusing to forgive you and still be your father. It's not like, here I am, I'm a justified person, I'm living this sanctified life, but, but I'm asking God to forgive me because, I, 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 let's just say I, I used a curse word last week. So I'm asking God, forgive me, Lord, for that curse word I, I used this morning, let's make it more up to date, that I used this morning when that person was driving so slow or they cut me off, whatever. Meanwhile, I'm thinking about how somebody else said something false about me today, and I know they did that, but boy, I'm not going to forgive them for that. Nope, nope, I'm not going to do that. Man, I'm going to hold that against them. But God, I want you to forgive. God says, no, I don't forgive you for that sin, that curse word you use. No, deal with it. You're going to have to deal with my heavy hand upon you. You're going to have to deal with the weight of that sin pressing in upon your chest. He is not saying, you're going to have to 
deal with life now as an unbeliever, you are in the dangers of the fire of hell. You better forgive them or else you're going to go to hell. That is not what Jesus is saying. But that type of forgiveness, if I want to be forgiven of the trespasses, and in a minute we'll get into what happens if I don't, what's life like if I don't, we'll get there, Psalm 32. But for the time being, it's Jesus saying, practice the action of forgiving others as you want God to graciously forgive you. Okay, Lord, this is the 1600th time since I've been a believer in Christ that I use that curse word, I know you forgave me 1,599 times, Lord, do it again, please. It's sin, it's wrong, forgive me. If I want that forgiveness from God the 1600th time, then for 1600 times, I better be forgiving someone else who I think has sinned against me. Go back one chapter in Matthew, to Matthew chapter 5. Let's clarify this one, too. Matthew chapter 5, go down to verse 23. He's dealing with the subject of anger. Okay, You can't be angry with your brother. If you are, you're liable to judgment. If you insult your brother, you're liable to the consul. If you say you fool, you'll be liable for the fire of hell. So, 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now, as Jesus isn't saying you aren't a Christian, Jesus isn't saying you aren't a believer. Jesus is just saying you got to go take care of this. You're bringing a gift. Oh, you notice it's not a sacrifice? Why? Because Jesus is understanding that you're part of the body of the covenant of God. But you're having a disagreement with a brother. Therefore, go take care of that. That needs to be dealt with. In the same way, you go to the book of James, and you have James saying, James chapter 5, 16, you have James saying this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. What's he talking about? What sins? The sins that you commit against your brother. See, it all flows together. James is saying, if you're there praying as we should be praying, our prayers of confession, forgive me, well, then you better be confessing your sins to one another as well and forgiving one another as you are living as sanctified brothers and sisters in Christ. When you pray, part of our prayer then 
is to be a prayer of confession. When we are privately, personally, alone with the Lord, this is a time of confession of our sin. What do I confess? The sins that I have committed as a sanctified believer in Jesus Christ that I have not asked forgiveness for yet. This is what I do. This is what we are to do. This is what Jesus calls us to do. Now, go back to Psalm 32. So here we have David teaching us about praying about our sins. In the little booklet you received today in your mailboxes, there's a few extras back there for those of you without mailboxes yet. Ken Smith believes this correlates to the story of David and Bathsheba, which I would have no disagreement with, stating that David's probably about age 55 about that time, which I went, hmm, it's interesting. Okay, much older than what I would have expected David to have been at that time, but perhaps that time frame works out. Here he is at then, let's say, age 55, having committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and having murdered her husband. Here's the psalm that in the aftermath of this, after Nathan has come, pointed his finger at him and says, you're the man, after David acknowledges it is I and I only who have sinned, here is the psalm that David writes. I want you to know, first of all, that David begins with the blessing of forgiven sin. Now let me ask you a question. When Nathan points his finger at David and says, you are the man, is David a believer or an unbeliever? Think about it. He just committed the sin of adultery. He just arranged the murder of Bathsheba's husband. Is David a believer or is he an unbeliever at this point? If you answered unbeliever, you're entirely wrong. David is a believer. The blood of Jesus Christ has covered already all the sins that David has committed. It's covered his adultery and it's covered this murder. He's a believer. So he can state at the beginning of this psalm the blessing of forgiven sin. He knows already what forgiven sin is. 
Notice the three words or the three phrases David uses to describe this, okay, in those first two verses. Blessed because the transgression is forgiven. Blessed because the sin is covered. Blessed because God does not hold against him that sin. What a blessing. Let's just stop and appreciate for a moment what David through the Spirit has just communicated to us. That even though we sin, there is the blessing of having that sin forgiven. Even though we sin, there is the blessing of knowing that sin is covered. Picturing the blood of Christ covering all of our sin. There is the picture that it's removed, that it's gone, that it remains there no more. David begins where the story and account ends. Oh, the blessing of forgiven sin. But oh, the trial and the torment and the agony of unconfessed sin. See, one and two is what he's experiencing. Why? Because he confessed his sin as a believer. This isn't David's come-to-Jesus moment. God has already come to David well before this and said, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed. David has already written most of his psalms expressing his love. I love the Lord. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. The Lord is my shepherd. I have a relationship with God. In and through Jesus Christ by faith. I have that relationship. But now I've sinned. Now I've fallen short. Now I committed adultery. Now I killed to arrange a man. Oh, the blessing of having those sins forgiven. Oh, the blessing of having those sins covered. Oh, the blessing of not having those sins held against me. Even though I committed them as a believer. But let me tell you what it's like. Living as a believer. With unconfessed sin. Verse 3, when I kept silent, I didn't do what I should have done. When I didn't go into my inner chamber, when I didn't ask forgiveness, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. 
See, there is something physical. Pressing. Eating. Away at David. We don't read about this in the account, in the narrative. But David's opening up his heart to us now and saying, you know, we kind of think that all of this is arrogance on the part of David. Oh, he thinks he got away with it. Psalm 32 says, no. I was wasting away. Do you think David really thought he shouldn't have committed adultery? Do you think David really thought he shouldn't have arranged for the death of Uriah? knows he did what was wrong. He just thinks he can get away with it. He thinks he can get away with it, not only with the people, but with God. He thinks if I don't talk about this, if I don't speak about this, you see, then God will not know. But it just eats away at him, physically. It's troubling him. But not only physical, note what he says next. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. That emotional weight that feels like God is pressing a 10,000 pound weight upon our chest. David says that's what it's like to live as a believer. One who is in a relationship with God. Who knows the good that they would, they shouldn't have done, and the evil that they shouldn't have done, that which they have done. What is that like? It's like the emotional weight. God. Almighty, all-powerful God pressing His hand down upon my chest. You say, well, let's go back again, Bob. Let, let's go back. You, you said this is the prayer of the believer, so if everything's okay on the far end, if everything works itself right, so he commits the sin, but he never acknowledges it, does he get into heaven? Answer, yes. But how does he get into heaven? The 10,000 pound crushing weight for the rest of his life upon his chest, physically being wasted away. God's hand is pressing. What a beautiful thing God does. God doesn't let me, as a believer, get away with my sin. He presses upon my chest. But that's not all. You go back to chapter 32 or Psalm 32. 
For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. My strength was dry. Remember the psalm? O Lord, you are my strength and my shield. See what's happening to his relationship? You see how strained the relationship is between David and God? Unconfessed sin by the part of a believer leads to a strained relationship with God. The pressing hand of God upon us, the wasting away of us physically. Because what does God desire? He desires that we, as his erring children, not that we as unbelievers, not that we as pagans, not that we as the ungodly turn to him. We already have done that. And that relationship is cemented in the blood of Jesus Christ. But oh, how the Father longs and desires for us to come and confess our sin. How much the Father desires that we acknowledge our sin. Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I acknowledged it. Rather than trying to hide it from God. David acknowledges it. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. In David's case, it took the finger of Nathan pointing at him, saying, you are the man. For David to realize, I need to pray. Forgive me for my sins. But remember, my friends, that's the broad stroke. So look at verse 6 of chapter 32. Therefore, here's the call. Therefore, let everyone who is godly. See how the theme just keeps coming back? It's not therefore who, everyone who is ungodly. Therefore, everyone who is pagan. No, let those who are godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. Now I want you to notice something about this psalm. And you can go back and read the narrative. And you know what? David never announces publicly that which he has done. Even in this psalm. Do you see here, and I acknowledge that I committed adultery with Bathsheba. I acknowledge that I had Uriah put to death. You go, no, hey, that isn't there. Why not? Because that's for the prayer closet. 
That's what we do privately with our Father. Oh, are there public sins that need to be confessed? Sure. Read Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah's out there in the courtyard amidst all those who have committed the sin of intermarrying with unbelievers. Oh, Lord, we have sinned against you. He's weeping. He's tearing his hair, tearing his clothes. People are joining in. Yes, Lord, yes, we have sinned. We have sinned. But you know what? That's a public sin. framework of the Lord's prayer is this. Pray and ask God to forgive you for your sin. Now you go into your inner chamber. You go to your private place of prayer. And there you, with the only audience being God, confess. Do you know why? Because that is who you have sinned against. Against you and you only have I sinned, Lord. Well, David is obviously realizing he sinned against Bathsheba. But the core of this is the Lord. That's where he needs to go. Now, the next time he takes a gift, what is he supposed to do according to Jesus? He's got to go to Bathsheba and I was wrong. Here. You see, we are so susceptible to pride that even the public confession of our private sins can make and become an object of pride. I'll tell you what I've been thinking. That makes me something doesn't it? Because look what Jesus forgave me of. We're so susceptible that Jesus says, you go to your Father, you confess privately, personally, your sin. Your sin. See, when you're with the Father alone, there are no longer any pretenses. I can't hide anything from him because I already know who he is. He already knows the sin I commit. I can't hide it from him. So Jesus is simply saying, confess it. Go to your Father. Acknowledge your sin. And you will experience blessing of knowing that sin is forgiven, of knowing that sin is covered, and of knowing that that sin too is remembered no more by the Father. Now you go and you forgive another as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. And God's people say,
let's pray. Lord God of heaven and earth, we thank you that you gave to us this instruction as well. May we obey. For Lord, there is glorious blessings for those who acknowledge their sin to you. The blessing of forgiveness in and through the blood of Christ. In his name we pray, God's people saying, Amen.